Good afternoon, everybody. This is Blake Ruby. Welcome to my show on BBS Radio, the Church of the Soul's Evolution. And that's what I'm talking about, spirituality, the soul's evolution. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about what's out there in the future. Reincarnation. After this life, being born again on another planet. Yes, it's true. And that's what I do. I talk about the truth. It's all about the truth. There's so much going on today in the world today. And I have so much to talk about on this show. I love it. I have a whole hour to talk about anything. And today I'm going to read from a book. It's one of my favorite books called The Contact Has Begun. And the author's name is Philip Kraft. He worked on the L.A. Times Metro desk for 25 years and shared in the Pulitzer Prize for the L.A. riots in the early 90s. And so he claims he was abducted and taken aboard this spaceship by a race of extraterrestrials called the Verdants, V-E-R-D-A-N-T-S, and that they're out there, and they've been monitoring our civilization for about a thousand years. And that's what they do. They're explorers. I don't know what happened to our explorer spirit. They go around the universe and have been doing so for millions of years. 290 million, I think, is the number. And they come up to these uncharted solar systems. Still, in the universe, such a large place, right? After traveling from one solar system to another, exploring the universe for millions, hundreds of millions of years, they're still coming up to new solar systems that they haven't seen before and, and new life that they haven't seen before. The creator of the universe is such a, an amazing, awesome, great, wonderful creator to have created all this life here on Earth and life that we can't even comprehend elsewhere. You know, because the creator, you have to admit, you have to agree, you can't deny. It's irrefutable that a creator is powerful enough to create all this life on Earth and now magical power, right? Just magical, creating something out of nothing. The creator can do anything, create planets. Suns, you know how incredible it is to make a sun? It's like a world on fire that burns for millions of years without any glitches, no mistakes, you know? Doesn't extinguish all every once in a while, and then it does have a lifetime, a finite lifetime. You know, that nuclear fuel is burned up after so many millions of years, and then it can go nova or supernova. Anyway, I just jumped right into the show today talking about this kind of stuff, but I, I am remiss for not having said that I didn't have my last two shows. And the reason was because I went on a cruise Saturday the 26th of February, so I didn't have a show that day. My wife and I flew to Orlando from San Antonio. And from Orlando, we went to Cape Canaveral where we got aboard the Carnival Mardi Gras. And coincidentally, it was the time of the year where they have Mardi Gras. So 
There's a lot of people on board the ship who had all the Mardi Gras, like, um, how do you say it, regalia, costumes and masks and stuff. And it was a quite a festive atmosphere. They had a little parade down the aisles, uh, the streets on the inside of the ship. And it was a huge ship, the biggest ship I've ever been on. It can take up to 6,600 passengers. And it's almost brand new, too. And just awesome. And I really loved it. There was a lot of people. They didn't sell out the crews. There was 5,600 people, so they were about 1,000 short from selling out. If you haven't taken a cruise before, I would recommend it. It's a good vacation value. Then again, there's a lot of temptation there. Most everybody drinks, as far as I've seen. Except for me, I don't drink. I gave up drinking back in 1988 because my parents used to drink alcohol. They were alcoholics. But they were good, good people. Just bitter from being born right at the end of World War One and cast right into the middle of World War II. Dad fought with the British Army. Mom went to the bombing of London. My parents were English, but I didn't learn, but I didn't learn to speak like they did because I was born in Canada. Anyway, so back to the cruise. One week, we went from Cape Canaveral to Nassau and the Bahamas, and from there to... Amber Cove in the Dominican Republic. Hold on, just a minute. One of our dogs wants to come out. One of our dogs, a little little dachshund. His name is Mr. Beta. And uh, he's out in the back doing his thing. And, wow, seven days. From Ambercove, the Medical Republic, to Grand Turk, and the water. The water, when you get down south of Florida, all of a sudden turns into a, a beautiful royal blue. Caribbean blue, they call it, compared to like a, either a dark green or kind of a somewhat blue color, you know, around the Florida coast. And I love cruises. We had a balcony. I would recommend a balcony if you can afford it because you can open the door and get fresh air, you know, at nighttime when you sleep. So you won't have to rely on the ship's ventilation system, you know, which isn't always pure air, if you know what I mean. You want oxygen, right? you got to make sure your oxygen content is appropriate. Are you getting the right amount of oxygen, my friends? Are you getting your daily recommended amount of oxygen? going outside, getting fresh air, sunshine. It's the key to being well. Make it happen if you don't. I uh, I just, I know you're a co-creator God in the making, and I, I can't really, wouldn't want to tell anyone what to do, but I throw it out there for you to consider, because I'm concerned about your welfare, you know, all of you, especially your spirituality. That's why I have my show, Church of the Soul's Evolution. So back to the cruise. We, as seven days just went by quickly. You know, we had a good time. We went to bed when we wanted to, got up when we wanted to. I usually worked out 
either walked or ran around the top of the boat. They had a jogging track or went to the gym and used a treadmill and lifted some weights. And the entertainment, of course, was, was always spectacular. They put a lot of time and effort and money into making the entertainment great. And they had two venues on board the ship where you could go to and see singers and dancers. Well, in both places, they had singers and dancers, but one place they called Central Stage, Grand Central Station, right in the middle of the boat. Hey, hey, hey. I got my show going on here, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah, I got my show going on. Come on, buddy. Thank you. Well, you might have heard he was barking. I had to get him to stop barking because I couldn't hear myself talking. Anyway, oh, here comes another dog. Hold on, please. I think they just want to purposely come out here and bother me. No, I'm just joking. They go, I don't know if they do this thing. I'm not watching, but over in the distance is the sun. And it's going down. So when I had my last show three weeks ago, the sun is already starting to disappear above the horizon, a little higher than it was back then. I can remember on at the beginning of each of my last two shows, I talked about that. It's amazing how in our revolution around the sun, you know, now we're into March, almost midway March. And in in our rotation on our Earth's axis, the rising and setting of the sun is changing, constantly changing. It's an amazing process to watch. You know what I mean? Isn't it great? I mean, there's a power involved there that we don't really think about. Don't give it too much attention, but that power exists, and we take it for granted. We don't. Uh, we really do take it for granted. And... It's amazing. It's awesome. The creator of the universe is so awesome. Just think, not only our planet, but all the other planets in our solar system, and then another solar system, the same thing, and a galaxy. You know, all our solar systems revolving around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, all the galaxies revolving around the center of the universe, held together by a power. Some call it gravity. It's more than that. Actually, you know, gravity is just a word. It doesn't really define what the power is unless you can accurately describe or explain what gravity is to me. Uh, you know, I can read it. I know what it is. I have an idea of what it is. Sir Isaac Newton, you know, he has the, the laws of gravity, if you will. That was a few hundred years ago. An amazing man, brilliant, you know. Imagine when we... Uh, pass away into the afterlife and we get to meet all these great people who have lived here on earth before in the past. Sir Isaac Newton is one, Einstein, I mean, just to name a couple, you know, heaven's got to be an incredible place, you know, with all these people walking around and just lots of time to talk with them and, and get to learn new things, you know, because the learning never stops. From what I understand, people that have passed over to the other side, near-death experiences, and come back to talk about it. They say that 
the learning never stops. But it does behoove us to take a drink of water. I will take a drink of water. Not let me, as if you could stop me, but it behooves each and every one of us to develop ourselves spiritually because that's why we're here. In case you didn't know, and if you've heard my shows before, you've heard me say it. Hold on. I just let the other dog back in. That's why we're here. Well, I understand there's so much going on in the world today. There's not a lot of time to devote to spirituality. Religion is a good stepping stone on the way to developing ourselves spiritually. But religion, unfortunately, has an ulterior motive behind it. And that is, it's a money-making business. And it also gives power to the people who do the preaching. Here, I'm preaching to you for free. And you don't have to pay me unless you want to get me... uh, uh, put me on TV, get in my own television show, you know, like on a channel. So, uh, yes, this is a, a request for a million dollars. That'd be great. A million dollars could get me started off. Does anyone want to pay for a spiritual advisor? I'm for rent. I can help you with your spirituality in your life. I'm almost 68 years old and I've learned a lot. I learned from my mother. And over the last approximately 30, 30 years, actually, exactly, 1992 was when I stepped on that really complex, if you will, spiritual path, learning about near-death experiences, I've read hundreds of them, about extraterrestrials who are out there, probably listening to my show right now from their spaceship. Welcome. Hi. I'll- I'm sorry, you're probably thinking these human beings are, I hope they don't kill themselves, you know, with the war going on in Ukraine. Mr. Putin, I don't know why he, I mean, there's a reason behind everything, but I don't want to get into my own speculation as to why Mr. Putin invaded Ukraine and is killing innocent women and children and men, and his own Russian soldiers are getting killed, too. I've had enough of war. How about you? I mean, just 75 years ago, there was World War II in Europe. How can we make contact with extraterrestrials if we have all this fighting going on? These wars that pop up every now and then. People are killing each other for no good reason. It's because they can't talk things out. They can't resolve their differences diplomatically. Because they're not intelligent enough. So they have to resort to killing each other, which is a sin. They're going to pay for it. They're going to pay for it. I guarantee you. On that judgment day, whoever, you know who you are. They are out there. They know who they are. Mr. Putin, he's that's a lot of responsibility to burden on his shoulders, you know. He's going to have to answer for that. Just think of all the, the people that have been killed so far in Ukraine. You can't take away people's free will. God gave us free will. That's why God is allowing things like this to happen. People might say, how could God let this happen? What kind of a kind God would let this happen? Well, that's just your way of thinking. You don't understand. You don't see the big picture. The big picture is 
you were born into this world and you existed before you were born, you were told that God can't interfere with your free will. That's why you're here. Just like in that movie, Bruce Almighty and even Almighty, when um, Morgan Freeman, God, gave Bruce Almighty, um, Bruce, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his whole name, but he said, there's two things you, um, you can't do when you have my powers, and one is to interfere with people's free will. Now, off the top of my head, I can't remember what the other one was, but the, the point is you can't mess with people's free will. When you take away their will, you're subjugating people. You're oppressing them. You're making them do something they don't want to do, and that's in contradiction to universal law. We're not supposed to live that way as children of the mighty creator of the universe. We are supposed to be free in that regard, but evolution is a B-I-T-C-H, if you will. Excuse me, I shouldn't swear. I'll take that back. Evolution is very difficult, and it's a slow process, and it takes a long time. We've come a long way. Just think, after World War II, then there was the Korean War and Vietnam and the Gulf War, all these other little wars, but I think... We're getting to where there's less wars. People are getting tired of war. And we want peace anyway. So these extraterrestrials are out there, the verdant. I was talking about them. I'm going to read from this book because I want to kind of take you there. This author, Philip Kraft, is a very amazing author. He's one of the best authors, I think, in my opinion, one of the best and easiest books to read. He's very humorous, got a great sense of humor. But he was abducted and taken aboard the spaceship. And so what they do, I was touching a little bit on that earlier. They come up to a solar system that they haven't explored, and they search for life. When they find life, they monitor it, observe it. And you could take a Hundreds of years, you know, they see the civilization, that particular species evolve and get to the point where they start taking steps into outer space. And one thing you should know is that space is supposed to be a peaceful frontier, a peaceful domain. They don't want fighting in space. And so they are one of the dominant species, these birds. They're like gray. They have gray and tan-colored skin, about five feet tall, big dark eyes, not much of a nose, um, a little bit of ear, uh, kind of pointed ears, actually, like Mr. Spock in Star Trek. I haven't seen one, but it was described by this individual. And you can see uh, this video on YouTube, um, Phil Kraft, K-R-A-P-F. I know it sounds kind of weird, but that's his name. I think it's a German name, a common German name, all right? And he's got a YouTube video, about two hours long, where he's at this UFO conference, and he's allowed to speak. And I could tell that he was, like, freaked out about the experience. I mean, just, just imagine if you, you, were beamed aboard a, a spaceship orbiting the Earth, orbiting the Earth, maybe behind the moon, and you met these extraterrestrials and you saw what they were doing and they were examining other humans and 
and you took a tour around their spaceship and you saw some of their um, rooms, you know, where they have all the electronic equipment that controls their ship. And you saw the, uh, you went up to this observatory, kind of like a, a dome area, and you saw the outside of the ship about a mile wide with thousands of uh, portholes with interior lights and space, a shuttlecraft coming and going. You know, like typical size uh, spaceship, they'd be 20 meters in diameter, flying saucers, you know, a kind of thing. Well, flying saucers, actually, with smaller shuttlecraft. There's, and they have hundreds of them that are assigned to the mothership. And yet, the mothership that they're on, that he went on, apparently is not as big as they come. They've got some which are even. 20 times bigger than that. Just imagine a spaceship 20 miles in diameter. I mean, huge. And of course, they're capable of traveling all over the universe in a very quick fashion, you know, very, very fast because they, they know how to warp the fabric of space with their anti-gravity mechanisms and all firing beams and they're able to go interdimensionally and make use of wormholes in space. And, and so they can get from A to B very quickly, suffice it to say, and traverse trillions of miles in seconds, you know. Amazing, right? And they had their own beginnings like we did, you know, like we we're still... Where we are right now, they were in their own evolution at one time also, and they had some conflicts with their species in the beginning, which is usually typical of a new species, a young species, that there's a lot of fighting going on because they're working things out, trying to establish a, a civilization and, and make sure everyone's taken care of appropriately, you know, and they're not fighting over money or having things that other people don't have. Anyway, so these burdens, they're, they're awesome. I wish I could meet one. You know, they're extremely intelligent. I mean, if you meet one face-to-face, -face, it's like might be akin to being hit by a truck. You know, their intelligence is so powerful, I think, for what I've read. And that, that book and other books as well, on um, other abductions, like um, Co-Evolution is one. And um, I visited Ganymede and also the Fire in the Sky, the Travis Walton story. So these ETs, they're, they're probably listening. Some of them might be listening to my show now. It'd be nice. Uh, it'd be very, how would I describe it? Um, I am humbled that they might be listening to my show you might say, if you're a human being, well, gee, he's going out there in the right field. But, and, you know, what kind of a guy is Blake Ruby? He's a reverend, but he's talking about ETs. My friends, it's the, it's the future. It's, it's all about evolution. It's about spiritual development. You have to consider things outside of the box. Don't you see all the fighting and killing and the war that's going on? We have to find a better way 
we have to have peace. Live in peace, my God. How much more is this going to go on? How much longer? Are you happy with it? Do you, are you, you feeling warm and fuzzy about the situation in Ukraine? Or are you taken back by the, the news and the photos, the stories of people who are migrating, who are um, going into other countries, who, um, people fleeing to get away from the fighting and the war? Well, I am. I'm tired of it. You know what I mean? We can, we can do better. It, all it takes is to get on that path of spiritual development so that you can develop yourself spiritually each and every day. And one way to do it is to listen to my show. I'll take you there. I am the truth, the light, and the way, just like you can be too. You can say that same thing that Jesus said and mean it because you are a child of God. You're a co-creator of God in the making. You are going to die. We are going to die one day. And then we all have an expiration date. And there's a guy at work that I knew very well. He died the other day. A beautiful man. Gone. Just like that song by Blue Oyster Cult. 40,000 people a day die around the earth. Okay, I'm not trying to be morbid, but let's be realistic. We don't know when we're going to die, but we have an expiration date, apparently. Powers that be know when. We don't know when because we couldn't really live our lives the way we're supposed to if we knew exactly when we were going to die or someone else was going to die, right? These are hard conversations we have to have. That's why I have my show and other people have their shows on BBS radio. So I'm going to talk about this one chapter. Phil Kraft, this was back in 1997, I think. He was deemed aboard their spaceship, and that's what they do, as I was mentioning, explaining. They abduct, or maybe another word to describe that is an unsolicited visitation. People, it's a process that they, they're familiar with, and it's all intended to get the people of that particular planet inducted into the interplanetary community, into the interplanetary community. Now, isn't that, doesn't that sound better than war and fighting and killing? Or you still want to go down that road? I don't. Now, there's a lot of young souls going around, and they don't know any different. They don't know better. All I can think of is forgive them, God, for they know what they do. You know, just what Jesus said when he was dying on the cross. Forgive them, God, Father, because they know what they, they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. Freedom, pleasure, people living to um, tickle their pleasures, you know, without thinking anything about their, their spiritual development. You know, I, I don't mean to be unkind in any way. I'm just trying to Lay it out there on the line. Lay it on the line, man, you know. I'm concerned for our welfare. I don't want to see, you know how close we are to blowing ourselves up? If we were to, if we had initiated a no-fly zone, 
Putin, you know, he's already got, I think the right way to put it would be, he's, he appears to already be pretty angry over what's been going on, you know. I think he's, he's trying to get the former USSR, Soviet Union, back together. And people, um, he doesn't like how all of these former Soviet republics have split up and now they're going into NATO and, and they're putting missiles on the borders to protect them. So the, the West is kind of turning them against Russia. That's why he's doing it, I think. And also, he might have a little bit of a beef with the Biden administration and the Democrats. I mean, right from the very beginning, Biden called Putin a killer. Remember that? How would you like to be called a killer? Not a very smart thing to say, whether it's true or not. You have to be diplomatic. I mean, other countries around the world don't do things exactly the same way as the United States does, you know. And I'm all for the United States, but you can't really criticize them if they're, you know, if I mean, I don't agree with communism, but if they're going to be communists, you know, then that's their way of governing their country effectively, you know, when they have to deal with billions of people. And so you can't really say my way is the best. People have to try their own way. And there are different cultures, you know, they eat different food. They do things differently. They have a different religion, you know. So this book called The Contact Has Begun, Philip Craft, and the situation is he's on board the ship, and he was there for three days, and doing this indoctrination and orientation, and the purpose was for him to go back and write this book, because that's what they needed, they needed the, I think they called it the white book, which would explain what the burdens are about, what they're doing, what their goal is to induct the, the inhabitants of planet Earth into the interplanetary community, you know, to have a summit. And it was on track, and they were abducting all these people, essential people from all walks of life, all occupations around the world, different countries, and they were going to be the ambassadors, and then they had the deputy envoys, and then Phil was going to write the book. And, and it's something that was taking a long time, and it's part of that process that they do when they go up to these new planets and they observe, start observing the life. And it's all a process and with the ultimate goal of then joining the Interplanetary Federation of Sovereign Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets. Now, isn't that cool? Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets. There's like 26,000 out there. 26,000 types of alien beings, my friends, just like you, but different. You know, most uh, are humanoid. They have two eyes in their heads, um, different types of head, in different shapes, um, different hair, some with no hair. Some with um, different types of hearts, different types of lungs, different colored blood, different types of skin, able to do, you know, really cool stuff. I mean, when they're that developed spiritually, you know, which comes along with being evolved, and they're able to levitate, and, and of course, they, they cure diseases and all about diseases because they're able to isolate what the cause is, you know, get to a source. And, and 26,000 
alien beings out there. Wouldn't you like to meet them? Or are you just scared? Uh, do you like living your life in fear and, and ignoring reality, the reality of the universe out there, my friends? Or would you prefer to stay here on Earth and just get caught up in war and maybe, you know, make Mr. Putin any more angry, he might start firing firing nuclear missiles and then we'll have to fire ours and then where will we be? We're actually blessed to be where we are today in the year, good year of our Lord, 2022, since uh, 1945 when we bought, dropped two bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then we agreed that that wouldn't be a good thing to do. Back then, of course, the power of the Nuclear weapons now is a lot more, many times more powerful than back then. So those bombs alone killed hundreds of thousands of people. Do I need to say anything more about that? I'm just trying to make a point. I know it's not a pleasant subject to bring up, but that's reality. Come on. Point is, we're living on the precipice. You know, we're living on the edge. Every day is a gift because we don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. When you have someone unstable like that over there in charge of Russia, what about China? You know, China, they say, is maybe trying to dominate the world and become the superpower of the United States is, you know, and so the competition is fierce. We understand that. We understand that, right? All the more reason to Take a little time each day to devote yourself to developing yourself spiritually and evolving your soul. That's why I'm here to help, you know. You can take it or leave it, because I understand you're a co-creator God in the making. You like to do things your own way, but what is your way? Do you have a way? So I'm going to read from this book. He's with a fellow that's about halfway through the book. It's called The View of the Cosmos. That's the chapter's name. And he's with one of the extraterrestrials by the name of Gina. She's a female, verdant. And she's uh, taking him on a tour of the ship. So let me start reading this chapter for you. I like reading out loud. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln used to read out loud? He read everything out loud. It's tough. It's hard to do. You know, we read books to our children and I've mentioned this before on previous shows. If you want to give a speech, if you're not where you are in your public speaking skills, you know, and you want to develop yourself further, try reading from a book out loud. It will help you. Why? Because you can see something, you can read the words, and you can also hear yourself speaking them. And that two-step process will help you to be a better communicator. So here goes. Suddenly I realized I was very tired, and Gus, one of the extraterrestrials, was quick to notice. We had spent 12 hours. I'm going to fast forward here, get to the good stuff. Um, Again, the door slid open when I decided to exit. Gus and another virgin who bore the name tag Gina, the female I'd mentioned in Chapter 1, were waiting for me. A cart of delicious-looking food had been wheeled into the room. I dined on macaroni and cheese, garlic toast, a crisp garden salad with blue cheese dressing, and plump red strawberries. I passed up the steaming Italian sausage and the baked ham because I'm not much of a meat eater. 
I chased the food down with an ice-cold beverage. I also passed on the desserts, but they did look tantalizing. A rich chocolate ice cream, banana cream pie, and tapioca pudding. Where'd you guys get this stuff, I asked. Is there a supermarket somewhere in the neighborhood that I don't know about? I suppose the satisfaction of a good meal had something to do with my obviously expansive mood. The two verdant simply stared at me. Had I stumped them with the question? The food, I said, pointing to the cart. Oh, Gus replied, we grow it. It's plant matter. It contains all the nutrients that your body requires. That's not real meat, I asked, picking up one of the sausages. Mercy, no, Gina replied. If I hadn't been looking at that unchanging neutral face, I would have bet that she had spoken the words in mild shock or disdain. We don't kill animals. Well, in that case, I'll treat myself, I said, and popped the sausage into my mouth. It was scrumptious. How fattening is it? I asked between chews. You could eat as much as your appetite will allow, Gina said. Your metabolism and body mass will remain at ideal levels. You're kidding, I exclaimed. And I've been watching my calories? What about the dessert? All processed vegetable matter, she replied. Even the fresh fruits, milk, eggs, everything. Much more nutritious than the authentic. You do not have to be concerned about calories. The body will take only what it needs for current use and will discard the rest. Now you tell me, I said, and dug into the banana cream pie. While I was eating, Gus explained that Gina had been assigned to be my personal guide and attendant. He said I was free to roam the ship and that Gina would accompany me. There was only a few places that were off limits, including the bridge and the private quarters of the ship's officers and the other prominent abductees, he called them visitors, who might be aboard at the time. I assumed that the Verdants wanted to keep the other humans and myself isolated from each other, which is why their quarters were restricted. But that turned out not to be the case. They simply wanted to preserve the humans' privacy. That stood in stark contrast to the utter lack of privacy that I witnessed in the examination room. That's another story. If you read the book, you'll read about that. Even here, there is a pecking order, a class system, I thought. The people on the examination tables were just specimens whose purpose would have been served once they'd been sent back to their homes. However, the VIPs, the ambassadors, and I assumed even the deputy envoys like me got special consideration because we would play pivotal roles after we returned to Earth. That is, our continued goodwill would be required. We might be miffed and uncooperative, and justifiably so, if the burdens went probing around our anuses. An image of the fat person in the examination room flashed through my mind. That's what he saw. It turned out that this assessment was unfair, however. The burdens have an enormous respect for all sentient life forms, including those species who have to be isolated due to their dangerous tendencies. Dangerous tendencies. Hello? The logistical considerations required the large central examination area, I was told. Since most of the subjects were asleep during their brief periods on the ship, it was felt 
that they wouldn't suffer any appreciable loss of dignity as a result of being examined out in the open. But since the ambassadors and deputy envoys were required to be awake during most of their time aboard, every effort was made to respect their individuality and to ensure their comfort. This included private quarters. I actually ran into one of these. Now I'm going to fast forward. I think he met Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. Remember President Gerald Ford? It's a long story. I might explain it some other time. But for right now, I'm going to just pass forward to an area of the book here. She turned into one of the open doorways. We walked several hundred feet through the room, came to another doorway, and continued along another corridor. Then we entered another one of those mysterious elevators, and I got the impression, but not really the sensation of going up. Ten to fifteen seconds passed, and the elevator door opened. We stepped out, and the sight that greeted me was so stunning that my knees actually buckled. The room was a giant transparent bubble. The view from an observation tower in the skyscraper would be a distant cousin to what I beheld because instead of looking down upon a city of lights, we were looking out into the endless cosmos. A billion stellar diamonds sparkled brilliantly upon the black velvet backdrop of space. The giant ship itself stretched out before us for what seemed to be at least a mile, and I watched perhaps half a dozen shuttlecraft come and go from several ports along the bow of the superstructure. Large floodlights played across the ship, and a thousand portholes shone with interior lights. The room we were in was very dark, with just enough light to allow us to keep from bumping into objects or each other. Gina took my hand, by the way, this isn't science fiction, and led me to a raised circular platform in the middle of the dome, with two steps running around its perimeter. We stepped up to a bank of about 20 plush upholstered chairs, occupying the platform, and she guided me into a seat and took the one next to me. At the time, I thought that her grip on my hand seemed to be a little tighter than was necessary. There was, how can I put it, a certain vague intimacy about it. I immediately dismissed the thought of imagination on my part. A recessed walkway circled the dome along the transparent walls. The platform was high enough and the walkway recessed enough so that anyone standing on the esplanade would be sufficiently low so as not to obstruct the view of those in the seats. As soon as we had settled into our chairs, the interior lights went out completely, but the illumination from outside was bright enough for me to see details in the room, including Gina's profile. It would be useless to try to describe her because I was incapable of distinguishing one star traveler from another. They all looked alike to me, as if they'd been cloned. But I suppose there were distinguishing characteristics that would make each individual recognizable. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. We were essentially in a half-sphere that provided us with a sweeping view of the heavens. Gina used her right hand to toggle a switch that allowed the chairs to swivel 360 degrees. 
Another switch was activated, and the porthole lights and exterior floodlights that illuminated the ship itself flickered out. Without this corrupting light source, the stars themselves leaped into even more brilliant contrast against the black, pitch black of space. The stars themselves leaped into even more brilliant contrast against the pitch black of space. Did you turn them out? I asked. No, I just accessed a filter, accessed the filter, to screen out the artificial lights. Only the natural light from the heavens is now visible, she said. I was mesmerized. Nearby stars, unfiltered by atmosphere, shone in stark contrast against the blackness of the surrounding space with a clarity that I had never experienced on Earth. Now, isn't that something? They were more sharply defined than I could ever imagine. Some were large, maybe two or three times the size of the brightest objects visible in the night sky from Earth, save for the moon. They ranged from a brilliant glitter, many times brighter than any star or planet seen by the naked eye, to mere pinpoints of barely perceptible light. Some were a bit fuzzier, and were actually distant galaxies of millions, perhaps billions, of individual stars. Together, they bathed the room with a level of illumination that was perhaps one quarter as bright as a moonlit night on home, at home. It was a spectacle of such beauty that my eyes stung and glistened with emotion. I was literally speechless as I drank in the grandeur of it. But if I was so capable, but if I was incapable of speaking, Gina showed no signs of being so affected because she launched into a patter that reminded me of the monotonous recitation of a bored tour guide. I suppose this could be expected. After all, a tour guide would view the Grand Canyon with a perspective far different from a first-time visitor. She rattled off facts and figures like an old pro. She told me that the ship was a medium-sized star cruiser, one of thousands in service throughout the universe, designed specifically for monitoring any planet to which it was assigned. This particular one was built 200,000 Earth years ago. Its name, literally translated, was Goodwill. Goodwill. It was home port to several hundred smaller shuttlecraft that are capable of traveling at sublight speeds to the surface of the planet under observation. A large mothership about 20 times this size is always within close range and is capable of speeding to the monitoring ships within a short period of time, although the distances can be hundreds of trillions of miles of separation. She didn't say if that was in conventional travel mode or through those mysterious black holes that they had mentioned earlier. Communication between the cruisers and the mothership cannot even be explained by a mere earthling such as myself. And I'm not talking about just laymen. I mean that the most brilliant scientific minds on Earth probably would not be able to grasp the principles involved. How am I doing on time here? I'm just, I'm going to fast forward here. So he, he talks about Roswell. So there's nothing to the Roswell stories, I asked. That was not a verdant ship, she replied. Yes, a spacecraft did crash near the New Mexico town in 1947. 
It belonged to a race of people from a planet in what your astronomers called the Large Magellanic Cloud Galaxy. That's a galaxy about 200,000 light years away from Earth and is visible to the naked eye in your southern hemisphere. According to Gina, the ship was a shuttlecraft and was on a routine assignment. There was an official investigation by an Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets Board of Inquiry, which concluded that the accident was caused by mortal error, meaning that the pilot made a big mistake. On Earth, the captain of an airliner made a miscalculation that caused the plane to crash. We would call it human error. The starship on which the shuttlecraft was based was passing through Earth's solar system for a standard visit to the Goodwill, the ship I was currently on. The ship had slowed the sublight speed travel mode as it was approaching the moon when the Verdans requested the captain to make a stop on Earth to pick up some soil and air samples from a nuclear test site in the American Southwest. The Verdant scientists aboard the Goodwill were closely monitoring humankind's emergence into the nuclear age and wanted the samples for tests they were conducting. Of course, it was understood that the star cruiser itself would not land on Earth, but would dispatch a shuttlecraft to run the errand. It was a rather routine request, and a subordinate officer was assigned the duty of carrying it out. Unfortunately, this race of people was extremely inexperienced in such tasks because they had only been in the Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets for a few thousand years. The subordinate officer himself, who was piloting the shuttlecraft, had made no more than two or three landings on any planet except his own, because these, this species' home planet has an extremely thin atmosphere. The pilot was not familiar with the heavier type of atmosphere that envelops Earth. He approached Earth too fast and was buffeted out of control when the ship slammed into the surprisingly heavy gaseous envelope. He was able to gain some control after a few moments, but not enough to avoid the accident, and he crash-landed, Gina said. After the Board of Inquiry hearing, steps were put into effect to ensure that such an event would not be repeated. The alien bodies were recovered by your military. Naturally, we were concerned that mass hysteria could ensue, but thanks to the military mind and its proclivity for secrecy, that was avoided. The military put such a tight lid of secrecy on the event that even the highest civilian authorities of the land were never informed of the discovery. When questioned by members of Congress and the president, the military brass completely denied the story. All military personnel who had any knowledge whatsoever of the event were sworn to secrecy and denial. Violation of the order carried an automatic and immediate death sentence from which there would be no appeal. No courts would be involved, no hearings, no trial, just simple assassination with dispatch, Gina told me. Eventually, the incident became a non-event. It simply never happened officially. So no current government leaders have any knowledge of your presence in our neighborhood, I asked? None, she replied. Does that answer all of your questions? I said it did, and she continued her tour guide monologue. Well, that's it, my friends. So they're out there. Ask yourself, one hand or the other hand. War, fighting, killing, not getting along with people, 
not being able to resolve our differences diplomatically. Anxiety, PTSD, headaches, heartaches, disappointment, sadness, anger, fear. On one hand, on the other hand, the ETs that are out there wanting us to join the interplanet community, interplanetary community. Becoming a part of the interplanetary community. Learning to travel to other solar systems, other galaxies. Being able to cure diseases. Meeting these other extraterrestrials. It would be such a stimulating mind experience. It would increase our intelligence so much. You know that. Again, on one hand, what do you want? Are you satisfied with the way the earth is right now? With all the war and killing going on? I like to repeat that because it seems to go over some people's heads as if it's not really happening or didn't happen before in the past. Anyone with any, with any intelligence has to recognize that. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't say that in an unkind way. I'm just trying to make a point. On the other hand, we have an option to become members of the interplanetary community and meet other extraterrestrials and get to learn about them. The choice is yours, my friend. I've got one minute. And all the while, behind all of this is the creator of the universe, a power that controls the movement of the universe, the planets, everything. So my prayer is, Supreme Creator of the Universe, you are awesome. We give you praise and worship. You're worthy of it forever and ever for the great things you have done. We love you. We know you love us. We are your children. Each and every one of us is your child. Please bless us, everybody. And keep us safe and well, and help to stop the war in Ukraine. Help to stop war altogether. Thank you. Amen. Goodbye, everybody. Talk to you next week.